Hey listeners, this is Maureen. Just a heads up that this episode was recorded before the latest development in the Breonna Taylor case, the lack of an indictment regarding her murder from the grand jury. The only indictment was for our old friend officer, former officer Brent Hankinson, who was indicted for endangering her white neighbors with his crazy ass shooting. And we'll have the whole update in our next episode as things are developing quickly, but we just wanted to let you know that this one was recorded before that, so when we talk about the suit settlement, that information isn't in there. This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And the podcast for maybe the first time in almost four years that is fully professionally equipped. I don't think you should be tempting fate by saying that. No. I think we might have trouble. Yeah, we have a whole episode to go here. I think you're jinxing it. But you did, you have a laptop, so you're not doing your end on your phone. Well, it's not a laptop, it's a desktop. Yeah, a computer. So we're very excited by that. It's been nice to have something I can type on without hunched over a little laptop. Oh, I know. And I'd also like to give a shout out to CleanFeed, the software we've been using for several episodes now. Yes. Since we're doing this remotely, and it's been working out well. And any issues we've had the past few episodes are not CleanFeed's fault, but ours. Yeah, well, that's usual. But I think that... Actually, being remote has been good for our sound. I know. It's kind of sad because I think we had we more did fun, have fun together. Yeah. Well, we'll try to do it together again. Someday. I don't have any updates. I, I, I do have one, I but, I do. but before I get to it, can we do two quick topics? I don't want to belabor it because things, you know, happen so quickly in today's news cycle. But we are recording this two days after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So we just want to give a little shout out to RBG. And this, she died on Rosh Hashanah. And by the time this drops, people have been will have been talking about it for more than a week. So we don't want to go on and on. I do want to say that one thing I've been hearing a lot the past few days, because of the work she did on equal pay and stuff, women are now paid the same as men. Oh, yeah. I've read that in a couple articles written by men. I don't know who's men. writing that. Oh, yeah. Well. Um, but I do want to say she made it illegal to Mm. pay men more than women for the same work or vice versa which really doesn't happen very often but unless you're in a union where everybody knows what everybody else is making i guarantee you that in many cases that lackluster pasty lazy guy next to you who's doing the same supposed to be doing the same thing you are but he's doing it more slowly with less attention to detail and is less productive is still making more money than you are Okay. And there's a hypothetical situation. I know it is. I've never but been But I understand situation. what you're saying. Right. Another topic, and, and I don't mean to spring this one on you, but I know that you will be able to rise to the occasion, is mm. earlier this afternoon I was reading my Sunday Boston Globe, and they have a travel column where people write in about their travel issues. And there was a couple who got an Airbnb in Orlando for three weeks, they paid for three weeks, and then they got mm. there, and it was kind of sketchy, 
And mm. then they read the reviews, and now they want their money back. Well, fuck them. My thing is, I don't spend money on anything online without reading the reviews first. Oh, no shit. And Especially does anyone, Airbnb. Right. What I do with anything, whether I'm buying, you know, a lamp or spending three grand on an Airbnb, which I've never done, spent that much. But I always start with, like, the one-star reviews. Yes, exactly. To see what's wrong. And lots of times the things that somebody else would give something a bad review for aren't things I can, but you can assess something. And I can't imagine in 2020 anybody it would book an Airbnb or anything else without reading all the reviews first. I, know. I have no sympathy for them. I'm sorry. No. I mean... No, and, and the guy even said, the columnist who does this column every week even said, it's tough to get your money back if you've paid the Airbnb and then you get there and you decide you don't like it, unless there's something, like, dramatically wrong. And the things were that were wrong is they could smell marijuana. Oh, please. And there seemed to be a lot of people loitering oh, about. Oh, jeez. And... To me, if, if there were issues... It's Orlando. Not that I've ever been there, but it seems I don't like a I'd lot of people would be loitering no around in to Florida. Our, yeah, and no offense to our Floridian listeners, but I don't think I would ever spend three weeks in Orlando. The thing is, if you read the reviews, you can find out if there are issues related to any of that stuff. No or if shit. it's a sketchy part of town. And- also, the bad reviews are more interesting usually yes. anyway. Yes, they so are. So I always start with the bad Yes. Always. Me too. Even if it's not something I'm interested in. If I just see reviews, I'm like, oh, I wonder what they have to say. Me too. <laughs> and sometimes they have nothing to do with the product, which is stupid. Right. right. So, but you can assess. Like, yes. if you see, oh, this thing got, exactly. like, four one-star reviews, and then you read the one-star reviews, and it's all bullshit, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, or it rained the whole time I was in Orlando. Well, yeah, okay. Like, for instance, in July when I stayed at that very nice B&B up in Dover Foxcroft, I think there was a review, and I don't want to fully put my money on it, but I think there was a review that complained about the lack of things to do up there. And I'm like, that's certainly not the fault of the people with the B&B. And plus, and no, if you're going to fucking go to Dover, Foxcroft, no Piscataquis <laughs> County, Maine. I know. Blindly, without <laughs> knowing that there's Where's no Where's the lobster? I know. <laughs> I want to see a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, that's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that, and I'm glad that you and I agree. I'm trying to think if there's anything I need to talk about. So Thursday, I came home from work, and I said to Hannah, let's go somewhere, because she's been sitting in the house all day. I bribed her by saying we get ice cream. Mm, I'd go. So we drove, and of course, every ice cream place I could think of was closed for some reason. And we ended up in Bath, so there was an ice cream place there. So oh, we I've been to, there. Sorry, we walked to get ice cream. It was on Front Street. They only had, like, window service. Well, it wasn't a window. There's our front door. But some guy was there with his two boys who were probably 12, 11, 12. No masks. Mm-mm. Like, no apologies for it. And it's like, get the fuck out of my face. Generally, if they're not wearing a mask, they're not going to apologize for not I wearing know. a mask. I know. It's just like, but it I just it was annoying. The then whole, I just, I don't know. That, yeah. I mean, there was really no point to that story. Anyways. Well, but, but I have kind of a, I know we have to get to our stuff, but in a similar vein, a lot of our listeners probably haven't heard about what is now the notorious Millinocket wedding. Oh, jeez. Maine's been relatively lucky. 
But there were some dipshits had a wedding August 7th in the Millinocca area, which is what many people who aren't from here would consider a remote area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were 65 guests at the wedding. They did take people's temperatures, I guess. but um, oh, Please. I know. But in any case, from that wedding, there are now 180 cases across Maine, hundreds of miles away, because Maine is the kind of state where people know each other, including one at a jail in York County in the southern part of Maine. Mm-hmm. That's There have been seven or eight. I think eight deaths now. But yep. the, the part of the story I was going to tell is, so that was August 7th. On August 10th, I went up to Millinocket for a work thing. I had an interview with somebody in Bangor, and then I went to Millinocket to take some photos and to see some stuff that went with the article I was doing. I went to the ice cream shop on Penobscot Ave in Millinocket, which is the main street downtown. They have Gifford's ice cream, which mm. is my favorite brand. Mine too. And their chocolate is, they call it the world's greatest chocolate, and mm. it's because it is. It is. So in any case, I masked Went into the ice cream shop. It's a small shop. The girl behind the counter, unmasked. As far as she was concerned, there was no pandemic. There was no social distancing. There was no plexiglass between me and her. Mm-hmm. The, the pen I had to sign, I used a debit card. And for a $3 ice cream, had to sign the thing. Passed between us. Mm-hmm. Um, she was right in front of my face, gabbing away about shit. And my thought was, well, okay, I'm a Millinocket. You know, so this is annoying, and yet it's Millinocket, right? Yeah, Penobscot County, maybe Bangor, which is in Penobscot County, had a bunch of cases, but how many have there really been? So that was three days after that wedding, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know about, and then a few days later, the whole thing came out, and I'm like, shit. (laughs) I know, the one small town. Because they couldn't open their schools. Yeah. And the, the church... In East Millinocket, which is a separate town where the wedding was, the minister was actually from York County, from Samford, yep. with the the hit-and-run accident story. Mm, yes. Hundreds of miles away, but he doesn't believe in masks or social distancing. So Samford is just having these rolling yes, outbreaks. Yes, now their schools are closed. One guest They're worked remote at, only. Right. One guest worked at the York County Jail, which is in Alfred, mm-hmm. which is next to Samford, which, again, hundreds of miles south of where this wedding took place. And there have been, I think, 80-something cases now related to the jail from this one guy. So if yeah. you think wearing a mask is bullshit, it's not. You know, well, and that this case shows, I mean, I know there are places that have it worse, but this case, it one thing, since we haven't had it bad in Maine, shows how just one yeah. bad decision in the place where the wedding reception was got sanctioned. But you can't tell me somebody puts on a wedding in August 2020 and doesn't understand the risks they're taking. And often you hear people say, oh, we did everything right, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, did they really? Because I I don't see people understanding what social distancing is. People are using the same bathrooms. Doing everything right would be not having a large gathering period. Right. You can get married if you if you really want to get married right. for what, but and, have a, and, get, and, wait to have the reception. And what Maine's Maine's indoor limit was fifty people, and yep. they had sixty five. And I think they had aspects outside, but yeah. so what? And the restaurant also was serving other people. So at oh, one point geez. there were more than a hundred people in the restaurant. So it's no friggin' wonder. And the thing is, none of the deaths were people who are actually at the no. wedding. Seven of them are people in a nursing home. So a a young person, an adult person, young though, went to the wedding. They went home and gave it to their parent, who's probably our age. 
she gave it to another adult child who worked at this nursing home in Madison, which is 100 miles away from Millinocket. That person went to work at the nursing home, and now that nursing home just blew up with COVID, and seven of the eight deaths have been in that nursing home. That's sad. It is sad. And the people who got it at the wedding were between the ages of four and 78. Mm-hmm. And they spread it. And so when people say, oh, well, if you're young, you're not going to get it too bad. So it really doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, but you're going to spread it to I know. other people. We're and never going to get rid of it. It's never going to, because right. we won't do it. Because has people to be won't done. wear masks. If everybody wore a mask for six weeks, it would be, you know, flatlined. And this whole herd immunity, or as. Two million people would have to die yes, before exactly. that worked. And that's the conservative number, up to six million people. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't like those odds. I don't either. And I don't and who gets to die? Who chooses who gets to die? It's ridiculous. You know, people think it's okay for us to say, yeah, it's okay for two to six million Americans to die. So I don't have to wear a mask when I go grocery shopping. My feeling was is and obviously I'm not a public health expert, believe it or not. No. But when it, we first knew what was happening, we should have had a hard shutdown. I work in a big box that was considered essential, which a lot of the big ones are because they've got lobbyists and stuff that mm-hmm. that get the government to admit they're essential. Money, money, money. But the thing is, they could still have shut the doors of all the stores. Mm-hmm. And only essential items, if somebody really needed something, they could come in and get it. They could have done online and curbside Mm -hmm. only and phone sales. They could have done all that. They could have kept us from dealing with the public. I had been dealing with the public. I took three weeks off. I got paid for two weeks. And one week I had to use my sick time up. Because your child was out of school. Because she was not in school. And and, and I uh, frankly don't know what other people can do like if you're single and don't have the support system i have but anyways and you should have seen how busy that store was oh yeah people were not buying essential items i don't consider window blinds or a throw rug essential items i mean people buy stuff and you can buy that shit online i know Look at all the People shit I were bought. bored. <laughs> we were one of the. Oh, I know. Me too. We were the only one. Of, one of the only places open, and it was before they limited how many people were in there. And we were. Right. We have had a record year. All the big boxes have mm-hmm. had record years. Yep. We should have all been shut down. We have hundreds of people working in my store, all dealing with the public all day long. Can you imagine? I mean, I it's just ridiculous. I know it is. So, anyways, yeah. I th- I just feel like this country doesn't take stuff seriously. No. We're a bunch of idiots. Mm-hmm. And maybe we deserve to all die. I don't know. Well, we don't all deserve note, to die. Do you You but have an update? People should just wear masks and get over I, themselves. It's a fucking piece of cloth. I know. I know. Put over I know. your stupid, ugly face. I know. And keep your spittle and stuff to yourself. All right. Anyway, yes, I do have an update. And sorry, I wasn't calling our listeners. I'm stupid no, our ugly. listeners are not stupid. They're and all ugly. beautiful. It's and the people smart who are people. who are listening by accident who are going to send us some <laughs> mansplaining email about why we're wrong. Well, wow. I thought we ever get those. But oh, okay. yes, I do have an update. Okay. Since we last recorded, there's been major news in the Brianna Taylor case, Ooh. which we covered in episode 77. Oh, you remembered what episode? Say her name. Well, first of all, we've updated it many times. And second yes. of all, I'm trying to do this right. Brianna, as you well know, is the young woman shot for no good reason in her own home by the Louisville, Kentucky police. 
in March, on March 13th. On September 13th, six six months... After she was shot, and I'm only laughing because I'm trying to do math, not because this is funny. I know. Um, the city of Louisville settled with her mother, Tamika Palmer, for $12 million mm-hmm. in what has to be the fastest, most head-spinning lawsuit settlement for a racist shooting by cops ever. Yeah. Just as important as the money, the settlement includes a dozen police reforms, many focused on strengthening the relationship between the police and community, something Brianna would have wanted, her mother said. Mrs. Palmer wants people to know, however, that the settlement doesn't mean she's giving up the fight for justice in her daughter's case. As we know, one cop, Brent Hankison, was fired for shooting blindly through the patio doors, which is against policy, but it doesn't have anything to do with directly with her death. It has to do with shooting through the patio doors with the curtains closed. He was probably an easy firing for the department. He, he had a string of pervy and abusive behavior. Mm he'd engaged in over the years and got away with. But after his name and photo were made public, people started coming forward. And there had been complaints, but they were all dismissed because that's the way things go. Because he's Um, a guy. And a cop. And as much as they complain about how tough they have it right now, they get away with a lot of... The other two cops who unleashed some of the 35 shots and unarmed Brianna still have jobs. The lawsuit doesn't include any admission of wrongdoing by the Louisville Hmm. PD. And charging officers with her murder is up to Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. A Jefferson County grand jury may hear the case. May have started this week. You never really know when the whole grand jury process is starting. The FBI also is still conducting a separate investigation. Good. Lanita Baker, an attorney for Taylor's family, said when the settlement was announced that, quote, justice for Brianna is multi-layered. And what was accomplished in the settlement is only a portion of a single layer. Her mother knows how important reform is and knows that the only form of justice she could get from the civil system from a jury was money, said Sam Aguiar, another attorney for Palmer. He told that to the Louisville Courier-Journal. Palmer herself, Brianna's mother, said, quote, As significant as today is, it's only the beginning of getting full justice for Brianna. We must not lose focus on what the real drive is. Mrs. Palmer filed suit against the officers August 27th, but the legal fight began in May, according to a t- September 20th story in the Courier-Journal. When Aguiar warned Mayor Greg Fisher about what would happen, quote, if the silence continues. This was before Greg Floyd was shot. Quote, we both know that if the pandemic were not here, thousands of protesters would be flooding the city streets over this situation, Aguiar wrote to Fisher. But their voices are very active right now online. And sure enough... Once the floodgates were unleashed on May 28th in Louisville after George Floyd was killed a couple days before, the Breonna Taylor protests started in earnest. Mm-hmm. Ben Crump, a high-powered attorney who's also representing the family of Ahmad Arbery, the young man pretty much lynched by being shot in Georgia yeah. by those white guys in the pickup with the Confederate flag stickers. And by the way, there's a really good Runner's World story about him. But Mm. he joined the Georgia team around then in May. Aguiar had gotten no immediate response to his email to Fisher. But in mid-August, the city, city officials contacted him to hash out a cash settlement. Fisher, the mayor, said settling the civil case was the best result for all involved. Quote, the bottom line for me was this. When you know what the right thing to do is, you do it, he said in a prepared statement. Why wait? And he did call it a tragedy and stuff like that. The payout is the largest ever on behalf of the Louisville police. 
The previous one was $8.5 million in 2012 when Edward Chandler was falsely sent to prison for nine years. It's also among the largest in the U.S. for the shooting of a black American by police, according to the Courier-Journal. Police policy and practice changes stemming from the settlement include early action warning systems to identify officers with red flags. Hmm. We'll see how that works. Mandatory commanding Mm. officer review of all search warrants. Mandatory body camera counting from two officers of all current CCs which I thought was interesting. What? Okay. When they seize oh, money, I get it. They have to count them. Yeah, okay. When they I seize money, two guys have to count it with their body cameras on. Yes. It's like, good, and, so it can't be idea. like in the wire where your carver and what's-his-name are putting it in their car trunk and spending mm-hmm. it later. Mandatory yeah. written approval of SWAT matrices before search warrants are executed, and that's the stuff where they determine who's likely to be in the house, whether the person will be armed, what the danger mm. level is, and how they should respond to it. Encouraging officers to perform at least two paid hours a week of community service in Aww. the communities they serve. Housing credits for officers to live in certain low-income census tracts in the city. Mm. Hiring a team of social workers to assist with dispatch runs commitment to bargain for increased drug and alcohol testing for the next fraternal order of police contract which i assume is their union overhaul of processes for simultaneous search warrants if you remember there were five i think in the night brianna was shot mandatory ems paramedic presence for all search warrants elimination of the closed by exception basis for closing investigations into officer conduct when there is a retirement or resignation In other words, if a guy's being investigated for something bad and he resigns, they stop investigating it. City will negotiate with the Fraternal Order of Police in 2021 to expand on the records it may maintain in police officers' personnel files. Hmm. I feel like there's a lot between the lines there. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see more stuff to do with what happened in Brianna's case. Like, for instance, mandatory body cameras being on during yeah. search. They should stuff. always be on. Right, right. Well, of course, the Louisville Fraternal Order of Police, which, like I said, I believe is the police union, is not happy. Ryan Nichols, president of the River City Fraternal Order of Police, said many... Louisville police officers, especially the rank and file, have felt unsupported by Fisher, the mayor, and what they see as his lack of leadership since protests started in May. At the press conference announcing the settlement, activist Tamika Mallory of Until Freedom said at the podium that the community won't feel calm until the cops responsible for Taylor's death are arrested. Nichols, the union president, told the Courier-Journal that now boots-on-the-ground officers think Fisher shares the same feelings about them as the activists do because he was standing right behind this woman mm. when she said it, and he didn't, like, stop her from saying it. Or Please. Saying, quote, he should be commending the officers for continuing to come into work day in and day out in these conditions, Nichols said. Perhaps he's testing the resolve. Maybe he doesn't want them to show up for work. Oh, a little sounds bit of like a, a little bl- there. blue, yeah. a little blue flu coming to Louisville. Mm-hmm. But I just like to say I understand it is difficult mm-hmm. for the police to do their job under these circumstances. Yeah, but what they need to understand is that in many cases, and I know I I don't think we have to say, but I'll say it. I, there are good cops. There are guys that follow the rules and stuff. But the systemic 
issues and the problems and the stuff police get away with. And I have to say, when I was a reporter in New Hampshire and we go out to the bar every night after work and there were cops who hung out in the bar and the stories they would tell and the shit they got away with, it's fun to be part of that, for the most part, boys club where you wield all the power. But, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. Yeah. And, and I would say, instead of whining about how hard it is for you, maybe you should understand why this situation is happening. Well, and yeah, they made it their own bed. I mean, they're complaining about about it but it wouldn't it's not just a matter of the protesters or the or the right if you want to call them rioters or some people that are that aren't on both sides on both sides i would say that there's a reason they're acting like that they didn't just wake up one day and decide i'm gonna go you know start fucking shit up and right. uh, and protesting there's a reason for it they have to take responsibility for why their job has become so difficult right like and oh everybody's just not acquiescing to what we want them to do all the time no you're not you're not this isn't a dictatorship you're not in charge you're there to protect and serve but like any entitled privileged class they feel put upon when things change and their entitlements are taken away and they have to start behaving within the law. And I just want to say on a total, totally self-serving, barely relevant note, I'd like to point out that I was asked as an author to be part of the Louisville book festival, which is now a virtual event from 10 AM to 6 PM, October 23rd and 24th online. And I was asked long before the pandemic. I'm still not sure why, because Louisville can, well, no, Louisville, Kentucky is a long way from Maine, and I'm—I don't know how they heard about me, but I was happy to be asked. And it does—and it doesn't definitely have anything to do with our um, attention to the Brianna Taylor case because it was months that I was asked to be part of this. And it's sponsored by the Louisville Public Library and Carmichael's Bookstore. And while it has authors of all types and genres, part of its mission is to raise money for underserved areas that don't Hmm. have the same access to books and education that other areas do. And as we know, it makes a huge difference in a young child's life. Yes. Whether they have books around and can read. And I'm also doing a presentation about setting and fiction. Ooh, you're very good at setting setting and importance and that's going to be via zoom i'm not sure what time please don't zoom bomb me but you can find information and updates on the louisville book festival facebook page and there are some really impressive authors taking are you gonna put a link on our website yeah i'll do that and again i'm not even i don't know why it can't kind of came out because of the you are awesome and they know mm-hmm. yeah, it could be but it's time for you to after yeah. all this to after our talk about yeah you mentioned male entitlement wait till you hear this story Ooh, which, yeah because i have no idea what you're doing so i'm no. very excited at 6:03 a.m on sunday july 14th 2019 a message popped up on discord a social media site it read Sorry, fuckers, you're going to have to find somebody else to orbit. Attached to the post was a photo of a dark-haired young woman in a black tank top with her throat cut open. It would be easy to see this kind of photo nowadays and assume it was a still shot from a movie or some kind of ghastly prank. Members of the server questioned the poster. Someone did a reverse image search, trying to pinpoint where the photo came from. 
I asked the original poster about it, and he answered, My fucking car. I fuck Bianca, dumbass. A bit more than an hour later, about 7.20 a.m., phone calls started coming into the Utica, New York, police department, concerned about the photograph and telling police they believed the young woman shown was Bianca Michelle Devins, a 17-year-old from Utica. The calls were coming from all over the country, from people who knew Bianca online. The department also received calls from family and friends of Brandon Clark, also known as Brandon Kowaliski, a 21-year-old man from the Syracuse area. Brandon had posted graphic photos on his Instagram story. One had the caption, I'm sorry, Bianca, and showed a woman's bloody arm. He posted pictures of his own bloody arms and body, too. And a photo of a dark highway and headlights that said, Here comes hell. It's redemption, right? Which he had posted while driving down the highway. Hmm. Posted that earlier that night. Brandon's bio on Instagram showed July 14th, 2019 as his death date. He sent his mother a Facebook message a bit earlier in the morning that read, I'm so sorry, Mom. I love you. About 9.30 a.m., Brandon called 911. He told the dispatcher he was on Poe Street in Utica, a street that dead ends onto Proctor Park. Brandon said he was an organ donor and had committed a murder-suicide. He said, I have to do the suicide part and hung (laughs) up. (laughs) I'm sorry, people, but it's so ridiculous. When police arrived, they found a small bonfire and Brandon on a green tarp spread on the ground. On the asphalt, he had spray-painted... May you never forget me. He was live streaming to his Instagram followers. Of course he was. When police asked where Bianca was, Brandon answered, Where the fuck do you think she is? The police noticed dark hair sticking out from under the tarp. Brandon pulled away the tarp and started cutting his own throat. He then took a selfie and posted it to Instagram with the caption, Ashes to Ashes. He lay himself across Bianca's body and took another selfie. The cops grabbed him and he was taken to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, where he was treated for his injuries. The next day, he had recovered enough to allow police to question him. But his injuries were pretty bad. I mean, he tried. One of the cops said when he started cutting his own throat, he didn't seem to realize how much it was going to hurt. He was, like, in a lot of pain. Lieutenant Brian Coromato of the Utica Police Department said, quote, he was very interested in what was on television about the case. Let's put it that way. I first became, I hate it when people put themselves into the story, but I'm going to. Okay. Sorry. The reporter first became aware. No. But I first became aware of this murder that Sunday night when I was scrolling through Twitter. I kept seeing the hashtag RIP Bianca. People who are posting it were posting about toxic masculinity. Unfortunately, in at least one of them, I happened across the photo of her bloodied face and throat ripped open. And it's it's a sickening photo. I mean, I, I didn't expect it. I'm just scrolling through and suddenly it's like, why are you posting this picture? I don't need to see that. There were also photos of screenshots of some guy whining about how manipulative she was. Mm. Here we go. I thought another domestic violence death. Because even though this story went viral online and seems like a product of our times and technology, it is the age old story of a person, usually a man, who decides that he will kill the person he can't control and maybe himself. That he is entitled to have what he wants or he will destroy everything. And he wants everyone to know it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to discuss regarding the misogyny online and gaming and other venues and the way young women are treated and are conditioned to be being treated. But we'll get back to that later. Let's talk about Bianca and Brandon. At the time of her death, Bianca had just graduated from Thomas R. Proctor High School and was planning on attending nearby Mohawk Valley Community College to study psychology in the fall. 
The reports published in newspapers and online at the time of Bianca's death called her an internet celebrity or an influencer or an e-girl. Most of this is untrue. Bianca had about 2,000 followers online. Yeah, I just want to say that the reporters who wrote that probably had no idea what like an influencer was until or an someone... e-girl. Right, until someone told them yes. and they put it in I their I kept hearing her called an e-girl. Those numbers swelled after re- the reporting of her death. That's why. If you go to an archive, you see that she didn't have that many followers. Uh-huh. She was active online, and she was into gaming, and she liked to post photos and videos of herself, like every young woman uh-huh. and men. However, she was in no way a celebrity until after being killed. Bianca was born October 2nd, 2001. Her mother, Kim, was a high school junior when she became pregnant with Bianca. Kim married Bianca's father, Mike Devins, and two years later gave birth to Olivia. According to Rolling Stone magazine, Kim and my... Oh, I didn't say what my um, sources were. Uh, a lot of it was... There was an article in Rolling Stone magazine in December of 2019, and they had a follow-up article in February. Most of the other stuff came from the local newspapers, the Utica Post, whatever it is, and the... I don't know, I'll, I'll say them later, but the, uh, but the Utica paper and the Syracuse paper... According to Rolling Stone magazine, Kim said Mike was emotionally abusive, and she said they broke up several times before finally parting ways in 2015. Bianca suffered his wrath because she stuck up for her mother. I don't want to cast aspersions, but I think there's some things between the lines as far as how chaotic the family life was. Like, they say he was emotionally abusive, but, I mean, there was a lot of calls to police and stuff. Well, that's kind of like when you need, like, Dateline or somebody to do something on it so that they're talking to the people and, yeah. Kim said that Bianca was kind of glad Mike left, but also felt abandoned as... When he left, he didn't keep in touch. He just, like, took off. Bianca had suffered some anxiety in primary school, but her emotional and mental issues became more apparent as she entered middle school. While Bianca had friends, she was not socially outgoing. Her mother, Kim, told Rolling Stone of Bianca she just lost interest in everything. Most of her classmates found Bianca to be a shy and anxious girl. A friend from that time said she was kind of on her own. But Bianca found a community online who shared her interest in anime, drawing, the voice synthesizing app Vocaloid, Mm. which was invented by Yamaha, according to Hannah, my daughter. And it's (laughs) funny because Rolling Stone called it something else. They didn't call it a synthesizing app. And I said, have you heard of this Vocaloid? Because I was reading it when Hannah was there. And I said, it's a whatever they called it, some kind of app. And she's like, no, it's a voice synthesizing app. Invented by Yamaha. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'll put that in my... Thank you, Hannah. Oh, she was one of my sources. <laughs> Actually, I did ask her about stuff, the internet stuff. As we go through this, I'm going to be talking about some things that I really don't know anything about. So, okay. Well. <laughs> Bianca had attended a private school, Notre Dame, for middle and junior high, but in ninth grade had to transfer to the public high school, Proctor, because after her parents' divorce, Kim could not pay the tuition. Bianca was tall and thin, and a local photographer, May Scaldone, took her under her wing and took photos of her. May told Rolling Stone that Bianca wasn't the norm for pretty in the area, and people saw her quote as different, like, what's up with that girl? That's what people say about me. (laughs) Me too. I'm not of the norm either. People say, what's fat with that girl? (laughs) 
Sorry. Despite, despite her supposed social awkwardness, Bianca did have a boyfriend, Derek Ward, who had a complicated family life like hers. Derek told Rolling Stone, quote, I could tell her anything. She was probably the best therapist I ever had. She'd tell me how she would babysit the kids. I mean, there's a lot of kids in that house. That's a lot of stuff to put on one person's plate. And indeed, there were a lot of children in her household. Along with her younger sister Olivia and her mother Kim, the four-bedroom home where Bianca lived was also home to a family friend, Kaylee Rimmer, and her four young children. Kaylee happened to be the ex-girlfriend of Mike Devins, Bianca's father. Also living at the home was Kaylee's ex, Cody Muhlengrocht. So in this four-bedroom home were two adult women, an adult man, and six children. Quite a full house and probably pretty chaotic. And I believe the four young children were not her half-siblings. They were her step-siblings. Okay. Not that that matters, but Bianca's friends described her as generous and loving. Uh, One of them did say, which I didn't write in here, that she lit up a room when she walked in. Mm -hmm. But she sometimes acted oddly and unpredictably. Stuff like dyeing your hair bright colors or cutting it all off, off, which she, she did do a lot. Or acting goofy in public. Some people might consider those odd behaviors, but they don't indicate mental illness, and most teenagers do stuff like they that. They strike me as typical teenage girl behavior. She lied a lot about herself. According to Rolling Stone, she, she told one classmate that she was Jewish and autistic and told an ex-boyfriend that she was Asian and Cuban. You know, I think anybody who is killed, especially when they're a teenager and don't have a chance to remake their life as an adult and become and grow up people can yeah. find weird shit oh, about yeah. them if I, get I can't imagine i can't I know, imagine i know the things people could make and now them. with the internet jeez. Uh, bianca fought with her boyfriend Derek constantly accusing him of talking to other girls she finally ghosted him and left school for weeks without explanation during her sophomore year bianca began to have panic attacks loud noises and shouting were triggers she would be unable to leave the house and go to school She was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, and her mother, Kim, took Bianca out of school so she could be tutored at home. And so that's what made me wonder, like, whoa. Being at home gave Bianca more time on the Internet. She played games with the friends she made there. Uh, Minecraft was one of them, and I am old, so I don't ask me about anything else. I have heard of that game. Um, A disclaimer for anybody who's young, I and Momo, or Mo, my sister, are... We don't know shit about this whole internet. I mean, when I first went on the internet, I was probably 35. I know a lot about the internet. I don't play. Well, I mean, the internet culture, the culture of it. Anything I say is going to sound. Put it this way: I remember when they put the first Pong machine in Laverdeer's drugstore in Augusta. I remember Pong. Yeah, but I have no interest in gaming. I mean, I know stuff about the internet. You know, I mean, I'm not like this moronic. I have a jitterbug smartphone. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I, I know. As far as like gaming and the culture, goes, yes, yeah. I don't know, but I will say that since first going online in like the late '90s, I have been on message boards. I have made many internet friends. Yes, many of whom I've met, and I understand some of the culture of it and the uh, men. 
as we know, no matter what site you're on, they try to pick you up. Well, it's, it's just Twitter, like Twitter. Right. You could be on the freaking neighborhood dog walking site and say, are you single? I mean, so. I know, it's just like real life. That's why yeah. when you go into a bar by yourself, you stare at the TV and pretend you're interested in the Celtics game. Yeah. If you're waiting for to meet somebody there. So the so some drunk guy doesn't come over and try to pick Ugh. you up. Anyway, like so I just wanted to let people know if I sound like an idiot, I probably am. Y- y- let's make that your last disclaimer okay. about what you don't know about the internet. Thank and, you. And people can just think what they will if they don't okay. remember all your disclaimers. I just think about when I'm listening to things, podcasts, where people say stuff, and I'm like, how could they not know that? I, so I know that. Yeah. I understand. Bianca posted lots of pictures and videos and different costumes. She posted art and photo collages she made online. You know, typical stuff. She created a bunch of different personalities of different ages, ethnic backgrounds, and genders. A lot of people who spend time online do the same thing. And to be fair, sometimes it serves the purpose of protecting you against predators and doxers. But much of the time, it's a way for someone to be someone else, anybody else. The lure for an emotionally unstable, lonely teenager especially is impossible to ignore. The internet is made for young people who want to escape the reality of themselves and older people who want to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. One of Bianca's online friends, Young Shim, told Rolling Stone, quote, she'd always create a persona that would best suit who she was talking to or the community she's talking to that would keep them interested. So they'd feel like, hey, I have a really cool best friend that I can relate to. And you know what? Some of this also reminds me of some of the other women in some of the other episodes we've talked about where they kind of, and she's young, so I can. They see don't have a kind of, feel for who they are. Yes, yeah. Like she was trying to Phil find Hartman's herself. Phil Hartman's wife. Yes. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Although Bianca didn't have a huge online following, one place she was known was 4chan. Now, admittedly, I know nothing about most of these communities. Sorry. I wasn't going to disclaim. And like a lot of people, I associate 4chan with the alt-right because it's been in the news because that's where alt-right people have met. But there are a lot of message boards there, including one Bianca went to, which was R9K. From what I gather, it was started by some comic book or gaming guy. They talk about gaming and shit on it. I'm not going to go into the history of all these platforms. Please don't. But one thing I do know about the internet and about the gaming world, or any geek-type world, is that it's very male-dominated and very anti-women. Think I'm being unfair? Talk to women who post on them as female and see what they tell you. Damn right. R9K is supposedly a platform for people to post original content. But like every other place online, it's a bitch fest. People just posting stuff and other people arguing or agreeing or whatever. As I said, it's mostly men. So any girls who join the board rack up large followings quickly of boys and men who want their attention. (laughs) Many of these girls are young, early teens, struggling with their self-esteem, wanting attention. They get it all right. One of Bianca's online friends, Chloe Frazier, told Rolling Stone, quote, A lot of us get roped into it when we're 13, 14, because we're so lonely in real life and have issues that prevent us from being socially fulfilled in other ways. We stay in these communities, and it's hard for us to get out. A lot of this generation online are into anime and cosplay, as they call it, and stuff. Again, I'm largely ignorant of this type of thing, but I've seen enough of it to be a bit disturbed by the way anime focuses on young girls and childlike women. 
Hannah is into a lot of it, and there's all this schoolgirl stuff that's gross. A lot of it goes over her head, and I've been rationalizing it as the same kind of thing as when I was growing up playing with Barbies, not seeing them the same way as I see them now. But then I have to wonder, how much of this mindset is shaping how she feels about herself and her place as a woman and a girl? And don't forget, not just Barbies, but everything we saw on TV is kids from commercials to Well, and that's the way it is now, too. It's going to shape. And we'll talk about that later, but it's it's disturbing. And then there's the whole incel aspect to a lot of these online guys. Incel, if you don't know, is short for involuntary celibate. These guys are not just guys who can't get laid. They are guys who are assholes, can't get laid, think they are somehow entitled to sex, and women are just bitches who won't give it to them. There is a lot of anger and hatred of women wrapped up in it, and it's dangerous to have a whole movement based on this philosophy. Young women are attention seekers and go up and go about it in different ways. But for women in these online communities, it unfortunately tends to amount to seeking approval from men. The internet has provided an ideal place for young women to do this. A joke about the constant posting of selfies on Instagram, and it's not just teens and young women who do it, but it's not really something to laugh about. It's sad to me that people seek constant approval from others about something so subjective and ephemeral as looks. But there you have it. In the Rolling Stone article, Erica Rose, an online friend and fellow frequenter of the R9K group called the older guys who quote worship younger girls orbiters she said quote they idolize them and they become obsessed with them these men send the girls gifts money drugs whatever they ask for nude photos or at the very least some attention if the girl does anything to displease an orbiter they will retaliate by doxing her and if you don't know that's posting her information online her phone number address stuff like that leaking nude photos threatening violence stalking her showing up in person one young woman told rolling stone that a disgruntled online admirer called a bomb threat into her school joshua citarella an expert on online communities and gen z culture told rolling stone that for the young women quote being engaged in these communities is an ego boost but it's also kind of self-harm bianca's friend chloe said of bianca quote she was too nice to ignore people like that even too nice sometimes on a 4chan board for hookups 15 year old bianca met a 19 year old man who rolling stone called rob according to rob both of them were lonely and in less than a week bianca asked rob to be her boyfriend Mm. months later in august of 2017 bianca ran away from home to rob's house on long island Kim hired a private investigator and also tracked Bianca's phone. Bianca found out police were looking for her and ran in front of a car. Bianca was committed to a mental health facility for five days after that. To say Bianca and Rob's relationship was unhealthy is an understatement. Rob had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and had substance abuse issues. Bianca's friends said Rob stalked Bianca and tried to gain access to her social media. Rob told Rolling Stone that Bianca gave him her passwords and that he never stalked her. That winter of 2017 to 18, 16-year-old Bianca dumped Rob after he fought with her about messaging with other men. Bianca's online friends told Rolling Stone that in retaliation, Rob sent people on Discord sexually explicit images of him with Bianca without her consent. Mm. And by the way, since she was 15 at the time these photos were made, her consent would not have mattered. It said material, so I think it was a video. Rob admitted to Rolling Stone that he did send content, but thought Bianca was going to share it anyway. Mm. Oh, yeah, wow. sure, there Rob. Uh. Bianca showed screenshots to her mother, and they reported Rob to the police. 
However, when Rob told Bianca he was going to kill himself, she stopped cooperating with the police. Oh, Jesus. Even with Rob being such a dick, Bianca kept running to him. Kim filed at least three missing persons reports between August of 2017 and June of 2018 when Bianca would run away. Rob explained to Rolling Stone, she was very lonely and she didn't really have anybody at the time. I was like the only option, the lesser two evils. She could be alone or be with me. Sometime in the spring of 2018, Bianca told one of her counselors that she daydreamed about jumping off a parking garage roof. This confession caused her to be admitted to Pinefield, a psychiatric hospital in Utica, for a month. She seemed to enjoy her stay, and Kim told Rolling Stone, quote, She actually said, this is the first time in years I feel like I have friends. Unfortunately, after Bianca got out, she ran away to be with Rob again. Because of the constant running away, a judge ordered Bianca placed on a person's in need of supervision hold. Bianca had to wear an ankle monitor and was on house arrest. In June of 2018, she cut off the ankle monitor and ran to Rob again. In October of 2018, Bianca was admitted to St. Anne Institute in Albany. On their website, St. Anne's describes itself this way. The St. Anne Institute community is comprised of a wide range of programs, which include clinical services, therapeutic education and recreation, residential treatment, day services, and after-school programs, medical services, integrated care management, early childhood education, and a runaway and homeless shelter. Services included are not limited to psychoeducational groups, life skills training, tutoring programs, work study. Kim said that St. Anne's was the best thing that ever happened to Bianca. And Bianca wrote that Mother's Day after returning, I've learned so much and I appreciate you more now than I ever have. I hope I can make you both, this was to Kim and Kaylee Rimmer, proud of me. I'm doing my best for both of you because I love you too. Bianca came home in February of 2019 and returned to Proctor High School. She was able to graduate with her class. She felt better mentally and emotionally. On one online post, May of 2019, Bianca wrote, I'm almost 18 and I look at myself two years ago and I'm like, damn. Her friend Chloe said she was on the up. She was getting better and her life was turning around. Well, back in school, Bianca reconnected with her old boyfriend, Derek Ward. Derek told Rolling Stone that he and Bianca talked every day and Kim said the two were inseparable. He had dated others, but, quote, they weren't anything special compared to her. He wanted to tell Bianca how he felt, but he never got the chance. Bianca met Brandon Clark on social media right around the time she was getting back on her feet in early 2019. Brandon Clark was 21 and from the Syracuse area. For those of you not familiar, it's a bit less than an hour's drive from Utica. Like Bianca, Brandon was into gaming and anime. His childhood had been traumatic. When Brandon was 10 or 12, depending on the source, his father held his mother hostage at knife point for 10 hours, accusing his mother of cheating on him. Brandon's dad was sent to prison. When his mother was arrested for something unrelated to that incident, Brandon was put in foster care. Brandon's childhood best friend, who Rolling Stone called Joe, told the magazine that Brandon was very polite and nerdy as a boy, but also obsessive. Joe said he thought Brandon was a regular guy until Brandon became fixated on Lola Khan Japanese manga with young girl characters. And manga are like graphic novels. And I pronounced it manga and was told by Hannah that's not how you pronounce mm -hmm. it. One of Brandon's favorite anime series was Madoka Magica, which features a young pink-haired character. 
And it's a little girlish character, so it's kind of weird. For When Brandon was 16, Joe found out Brandon was texting a 12-year-old girl. Joe and some other friends of Brandon confronted him about it. Joe shared the screenshots of this confrontation with Rolling Stone. Brandon said, quote, Trust me, you're all better off not being concerned with the shit I do. So they confronted, just to clarify, so oh, they what, confronted you him. Again? No, no, I just for our, okay. Is so they confronted him via what text and stuff yes. rather than have a conversation in well, person. You know, it's easier that way. God forbid people talk to each other. Brandon said, "Trust me, you're better off not being concerned with the shit I do or think of doing because you won't like what you see." Mm. Mm. After that, Joe dumped Brandon as a friend. Good for Joe. But also, I guess it's better to have conversations like that by text because then they can share them with Rolling Stone magazine yeah. when things go bad. Oh, and this is what happens at these at these trials nowadays. Everything's yeah. online. When Kim met Brandon, she thought he was a nice boy, polite and open. He told her about his childhood in the foster care system, and she was sympathetic. One thing that Kim thought was a little weird was that Brandon would sometimes refer to himself as Bianca's boyfriend. But Kim knew because Bianca had told her very definitely that Brandon was not Bianca's boyfriend. Mm. Kim said she was 17 and getting ready to go to college. She didn't want a relationship. Bianca's friend Chloe said that Bianca had complained about some of Brandon's messages. They were possessive and kind of creepy. But Chloe told Rolling Stone these types of messages are par for the course with orbiters. Chloe said those types of texts are, quote, very easy to ignore after you get so many of them. Mm. Kim, for her part, thought it was fine for Bianca to go to a concert with Brandon at a club in Queens about a four-hour drive from Utica. As long as Brandon dropped Bianca off as soon as they got back to town. It would be Bianca's first concert on her own, and she was so excited. The artist was Nicole Dollenganger. I think it's Dollenganger or Dollenganger. Sorry, everybody. A Canadian artist who sings creepy songs, which is my assessment (laughs) after (laughs) listening to some of them. I figured I should listen on YouTube. Right. Um, She also named herself after a V.C. Andrews character, so, you know, by that I can kind of... And, you know, V.C. Andrews' Flowers in the Attic, all those poorly written books. Mm -hmm. Bianca's friends had been messaging with her on Discord that night from the concert, or she was at the concert messaging them. Bianca met a guy she'd previously known only online with the screen name Oipu, later identified in court documents as Alex. Bianca messaged, he smells so nice, LOL, he's perfect, I'm in love. When Brandon went to get rolling papers, Bianca kissed Oipu, and Brandon saw them kiss. Mm-mm. On discard the next morning, Oipu said Brandon was, quote, nasty and combative, and that Bianca was Oipu's first kiss. Aww. Because of the speculation following Bianca's murder online, police initially said that it seemed to be a crime of passion, a boyfriend angry with his girlfriend for kissing another guy. This was not true, of course, and even if he was angered by that, as we have said many times, that is not the reason he killed her. Right. The reason he killed her is because he's a toxic control freak. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, Brandon posted, quote, I'm ending it today. I'm sorry to all the family and friends who wanted me to achieve. I love you all. Social media went nuts after this murder. Like I said, I saw the hashtags and read a lot of the messages, mainly because I was trying to figure out who Bianca was and what was going on. Because at the time, I thought she was somebody famous or something because there were so many, you know, tweets about her. 
I read a lot of crap about her that pissed me off, even though I knew next to nothing about her. The incel types were calling Bianca a whore and a roasty, which I guess means a tease I, from the context. Sounds like the same type of thing as cock tease, which I hate. A roasty? Yeah, roasty. Like, d- like you're roasted? Yes. I okay. don't know. I don't. Maybe some of our listeners. Well, I know a a sexual term, but it doesn't seem to fit here, so I won't go into it. Gross. Spit roast. Do you know what? No. Okay, I won't go into it. Saying girls like her use guys and deserve to die. A tweet by Brianna Wu, a political candidate who is also a video game developer, read, quote, It's just online. Women should ignore the abuse, they say. Well, it's not online anymore. There's something deeply wrong with what we built. R.I.P. Bianca. Actor Jimmy Wong tweeted, Christina Grimmy was murdered by an obsessed fan three years ago. Another one broke into Meg Tierney, Gavin Free's home, with a shotgun last year. I don't know who they are. Now, tragically... Well, Grimmy, we talked about... I know Grimmy, but Meg Tierney, Gavin Free, he has a slash, Gavin Free. Uh, Now, tragically, R.I.P. Bianca. Thousands of women die to rejection violence every year. This is a real issue, and we cannot ignore it. The ghoulish photos that Brandon had initially posted to Discord ended up on Instagram where they stayed for hours and were shared widely. Instagram released a statement in which they said, All of us at Instagram were shocked and saddened (laughs) by Bianca's tragic death. We're continuing our work to prevent this from happening again and are collaborating with a number of academic and research institutions to better detect harmful images and videos. Well, here's a tip. If someone's reporting it, try to remove it. Yeah, no shit. But people online were disgusting as i said the horrible photo that i accidentally came across that night was posted on kim's facebook page someone airdropped it to kaylee kim you know bianca's stepmother's phone while she was shopping oh jesus some asshole from 4chan sent it to kim as a quote come c-u-m tribute which is a lovely term for when a man ejaculates on a photo of a woman. Then he posted about it on R9K. Brandon's brother, James Ward, no relation to her boyfriend, Derek, posted on Instagram, quote, Shout out to all the people who target someone's family and blame them for a person's decisions. Nothing better than waking up at 4 a.m. to find out your brother killed someone and tried to kill himself. And then when you're trying to understand and comprehend how the person you looked up to taught you, you so much is responsible for such a horrible act and people proceed to go out and blame you for what he did so here i am stationed in alaska for military service wanting nothing more than to wake up and be back home hoping this is some sick and twisted nightmare instead i'm all the way across the country i'm deeply sorry something like this came from my family and my heart goes out for the family of the victim but think about when his little sister and brothers find out what a disgusting thing he's done and get blamed for it they're kids kaylee bianca's stepmother wrote on facebook it is absolutely disgusting that people are sharing screenshotting the pictures of bianca's tragic death wtf is wrong with you people I've seen the pictures. I will forever have those images in my mind when I think of her. When I close my eyes, those images haunt me. How about we have some fucking consideration for her mother, sister, stepsisters, and brother, stepmother, and stepfather, and her grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces, and nephews, and her friends? How about we have some consideration for her? Imagine sitting there in disbelief and praying to God that 
this is all some mistake and your baby will walk through the door any minute. Now imagine seeing those pictures and having everything in you break. Imagine not being able to yell out and scream or cry because your soul has now just been broken. Instead of repeatedly sharing it and saving these sick pictures, you report them so they can be taken down. And instead, you post about what a beautiful young woman she was. Derek Ward, no relation to what's his name ward <laughs> saw the photo <laughs> and was haunted by it he says he hasn't really been able to have relationships i'll lay down and cuddle and i'd be like this don't feel right because i knew who i wanted next to me bianca's family issued a statement that said quote we are very grateful for the outpouring of love and sympathy we have received from our friends family bianca's friends and the whole community your prayers helped to strengthen us through this difficult time. Bianca, age 17, was a talented artist, a loving sister, daughter and cousin, and a wonderful young girl taken from us all too soon. She is now looking down on us as she joins her cat, Belle, in heaven. Bianca's smile brightened our lives. She will always be remembered as our princess. A lot of the stories written make this a cautionary tale about meeting people online. Kim rejected this idea. She told Rolling Stone, yes, Bianca and Brandon met on the internet, but it's 2019. That's just how people meet. But some of Bianca's other friends think the internet did have something to do with it. Maybe the toxic atmosphere of the places she hung out, the type of people she interacted with. Remember Rob, the guy she always ran to? He told Rolling Stone, I thought I was the worst thing to ever happen <laughs> to her. But after everything that happened with me, you'd think she'd learned her lesson on not to fucking trust people online. Erica Rose, Bianca's internet friend, said, We've all met orbiters. We've all met guys that we met online. And we've all met creeps, absolute creeps. Even guys who are threatened to kill us. I was thinking this could have been me. This could have been any of us. But it was Bianca. The initial articles and quotes from police made it seem like Brandon flew off the handle and attacked Bianca in a fit of rage because he was jealous. But according to the Syracuse Post standard, Brandon had been researching online how to kill someone for months. What? Evidence and police statements released in the spring of 2020 after Brandon pled guilty revealed that Brandon had been researching since May 2019 how to kill or incapacitate a person. He looked up information on the carotid artery, strangling, and hanging. He told the court he had a to-do list on his phone for the day of the murder. Among his tasks was to change his bio to add his death date. I'm glad he had that, you know, all mm. set up. And posting a quote from Fight Club. Quote, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. And for the record, you know, I have never me, seen Fight Club. Yes. Me neither. I've never seen it, but I tire of the references to it. I do too. That I hear constantly. Which makes me never, I'm never Maybe we see should it. have to, maybe we should have to see movies with each other that no one's, neither of us, we can smoke pot or something while we watch them. Mm. Like that. No, that doesn't sound appealing that to you. It doesn't sound like fun, no. Okay. Brandon's search history revealed that he was obsessed with Bianca, following her online, saving images of her. A week after he met her, he got a tattoo on his leg of a playground swing, one of her favorite things. In fact, her family members and friends wear pink t-shirts to court that have a silhouette of a girl on a swing in honor of Bianca. Brandon showed off his tattoo at Bianca's high school graduation party. He kept screenshots of a lot of their conversations, and a lot of them ended up online after the murder. Here's a sampling of mostly him. I'll let you know when it's her. These are text messages. I'm going to do a dramatic reading. Okay. I only found a few. There were more online. I think they've been, I don't know. I probably could search, but it doesn't matter. You'll get the gist. They're kind of in chronological order. And these are all 
at the end of June. So it was it was a few weeks before he killed her. This is him. I'm deleting Discord for a while since I really used to, it, only to talk to you and send you stuff. So if you do want to talk, iMessage is here. I'm laying down. I've had a really shitty week. I guess I'll talk to you whenever you're comfortable again. I hope you're okay. And then he says, I'm having bad dreams. Can I talk to you? And she writes, no, stop pestering me. Good for her. And then he says, I'm a nice guy. You just aren't giving me or us a chance at becoming friends again. I'm just pestering you. You know what type of guy I am. I'm the type of guy who drives your car to the car wash while you're asleep and cleans the fuck out of it. The type of guy who takes you to dinner where you want to go. The type of guy who buys random gifts at random times just to show someone I appreciate them. Mm. The type of guy who's loyal and faithful and has empathy. The type of guy who values family. The type of guy who brings you flowers and chocolates for absolutely no reason. The Mm. type of guy who knows how to cook and clean and work so his partner can relax the type of guy who holds you when you're watching a scary movie and doesn't try to push fucking your brains out unless it's warranted i don't know what that means the type and doesn't of guy, try to push fucking your brains out unless, unless it's, warranted. it's warranted the type of guy who lights candles around the house on a friday night when you don't feel like going out want to stay in and relax uh, type, you know that type of guy would make me want to puke and run to the other well if he's side. lighting candles on friday night maybe he's just jewish <laughs> The type of guy who could become your best friend that knows your secrets, knows what kind of shampoo and toothpaste you use. The type of guy who pays attention to detail because that's how involved in this relationship and partner he is. You know what happens to guys like me? This exact situation, time and time again without fail. That's my fate. I've had so much practice being a rebound. I'm fucking God tier of the friend zone. I'm fucking done. And then then he goes, a few hours later, he goes, thank you for teaching me a lesson that girls like you who lead guys online are just fake and attention-seeking. Friend hunting is just a way of saying I need attention and date guys online because guys who live in my area would see how fucked I really am. He will probably meet you, fuck you, and then leave you. I wouldn't do that because I care. But you refuse to give me a chance to show you anything because all you do is send me argumentative shit and piss me off when all I want to be is to be friends again. You are wrong in this and someday it will hit you. And if it doesn't, then you're fucking sick and heartless and don't deserve unconditional love that somebody like me can provide. Fucking done. Goodbye. I love it when they have this lengthy text telling what a wonderful guy they are. I know. And then when they don't get a response, the next one is this insulting, you know. I know. Fuck you text. But anyway, then he on. says, all I wanted was to be a, be friends and grow in a friendship. And I fucked up. I set expectations because I was jealous. You had a boyfriend and I acted like a jealous child. I know this. I'm not a creep and I'm not a bad person. I'm fucking broken. And then he has some letters that he must have just been typing fast and all i'm asking for us is a chance for us to start over and i can't fucking do this anymore it wasn't a week either it was a couple of weeks we texted while you were on holiday and after a few days later we started fighting you're not even reading this and i fucking can't do this i push everyone away and you don't fucking care at all and then she wrote and it's cut off but she wrote i don't want to mend our friendship i don't want to be guilted or forced into it on your and then it's cut off that's you looking at it good so for she, her yeah, but then two weeks later, she's back friends with him. They she wear wasn't. You down. She does. She yeah, I'm sure. Those were fun, but that gives you an idea. And so those are the kind of 
relentless those pressure. are the only kind of texts i read just keep those in mind as as we go along brandon put spray paint in his car and the quote he spray painted about remember me or whatever as trite as it was was apparently from a, a quote from a japanese manga the one that said remember me or he put spray paint in his car that was part of his to-do list for the murder okay to bring the spray paint so he could spray paint that message on the ground he planned it all out On the way home from the concert, Brandon and Bianca talked about her kissing Alex. She reminded Brandon that they were platonic. Brandon told Bianca she was using him. At the time of her death, it was reported that the two were dating or had dated. The police were adamant that their texts and messages showed they had an intimate relationship. Someone pointed to the fact that Bianca's younger sister posted that Brandon wasn't just an Internet boyfriend, but a friend of the family saying that her wording implied he was a boyfriend. Hmm. I believe her friends who say he was definitely not a boyfriend and never was. We've all known guys like this that don't get it. And I would venture to say the male police don't seem to get it either. No. I haven't seen much of the text messages, but the ones I've seen seem like he's saying they have something and she says no. I have a feeling if we were to parse them, it depends on what you think is going on as to how you interpret them. And I think even ones like the ones we just read, that some of these police read them and like, how oh, they're they obviously a couple fighting. How do they not? And also, her sister saying he's not just an internet friend, but a friend of the family. To me, that means he's not just... An internet friend. He's well, like she a says real he, she life. says he's not. He, no, she said he's not just an internet boyfriend. Oh, because oh. all the all the reporting said okay. he was an internet boyfriend, a boyfriend okay. she met on the internet. But I think she meant that he wasn't just. He was somebody that we knew. He was a right. family friend. Right. But I don't think she was saying that he right. was a boyfriend. Right. You know, although people took it that way. He recorded himself cutting her throat so he could watch it later. He set up a camera on the dashboard. Bianca was sleeping in the back seat. Oneida County ADA Sarah DeMellier told the Post Standard, quote, she didn't see it coming. She had no idea. In the video, ADA DeMellier said that Brandon had to, quote, saw Bianca's throat. It's not like on TV. He has to get through the muscle. He recorded all this, and he also recorded what appears to be her last breaths. And also, I read in an article that I was reading after I had already written this, that people who saw the video, at the beginning of it, he wakes her up and confronts her about the kiss, and he hits her in the face, and she tells him, just take me home, and that's when he attacks her with the knife. So she did see it coming. She kind of did, but she was asleep, and she they said she didn't have time to even fight back. So right. I think that she just didn't expect that she was probably half asleep. Brandon had also researched online how to live stream the killing, but luckily he did not do that. After Brandon killed Bianca, he left her in his car while he built a bonfire where he burned his laptop and hard drive. He put the tarp down and put Bianca's body on it while playing Test Drive, a song by Joji, a Japanese artist. This song is about a relationship in which the guy is more into the girl than she is into him. Brandon called family members to tell them what he'd done. He left his grandmother a voicemail, called his brother in Alaska, his aunt, and a mentor. So as I told you, he pled guilty on February 10th of 2020 ada demelier told the post standard that she and both families were glad a trial had been avoided it would have been traumatic for everyone who had to watch the video not just the families but the jury he was 
to be sentenced for 25 years to life on April 6. But Brandon's sentencing was delayed because of the COVID-19 pandemic, mm. and Brandon used the extra time to read up on the law in jail. On July 28, 2020, the Utica Observer Dispatch reported that Brandon wanted to withdraw his guilty plea. Brandon was to appear that day for sentencing, but on June 2nd, the court received the request to withdraw the plea. Judge Michael Dwyer said to Brandon, I told you over and over again that you wouldn't be able to go back. Brandon said he was under the impression that it was his right to change his mind right up to the sentencing date. Brandon told the judge, quote, I've only realized that through reading law myself and reviewing my own case, there was a lot of faults, I believe, on Mr. Niebush's behalf. Luke Niebush was Brandon's lawyer. On August 5, 2020, Judge Dwyer said he would assign Brandon Clark another attorney and the court was adjourned for six weeks or so. It's up to the judge whether or not Brandon will be allowed to withdraw his plea. And they haven't reconvened that I can mm-hmm. tell. Sounds like you're going to have to update at some point. Oh, fuck. If he does, he could go to court. Bianca's family was in court that day. Bianca's grandfather, Frank Williams, told the Observer Dispatch, We are hopeful that this will not result in a trial. If he does somehow get this from this court, we are prepared to represent Bianca each and every day and remind him of the beautiful life he took from us, from her friends, and from this community. Brandon's mother, Michelle, told Rolling Stone that her son did the plea deal to spare Bianca's family the trauma of, quote, seeing the footage of him killing her. She said her son was not the, quote, manipulative monster he's been made out to be, and his Google searches were Brandon researching how to kill himself, not Bianca. Michelle said, quote, he was a good kid. It came out of nowhere. It's surreal. Mm -hmm. I think about him all day long. I have nightmares about him. Bianca's mom, Kim, told Rolling Stone, people are always asking me what advice you would give to other parents. And I don't have any because he was so meticulous and good about hiding who he was. His own family can't figure out how this goofy, nerdy, funny boy they raised turned into a monster. So if his whole family didn't see anything scary, how could we? That's the scariest part of it, this. Mm. Yes, there was no evidence of abuse, but as we have talked about on this podcast many times, that doesn't mean there aren't other signs. Maureen Curtis, Vice President of Criminal Justice Programs at Safe Horizon, told Rolling Stone, quote, We know when there is a homicide, there is often some kind of abusive behavior that does not necessarily fall under the criminal justice radar. Even family members may not recognize this behavior as abusive. They may see obsession or jealousy and write it off or see it as a form of love, end quote. And as I wrote, the old coercive control that you always mm-hmm. talk about, well, Now, as I said, this murder may seem like a new type of thing, but it's the same old story. In USA Today, on a story posted just a couple days after the murder, Cindy Southworth of the U.S. National Network to End Domestic Violence said, quote, this is not an Instagram story. This is a story about dating violence and homicide. And see, at the time, everyone thought they were boyfriend or girlfriend. I just yeah. want to clarify. yeah. But it still holds. It still holds. About power and control, about a man who felt entitled to take a girl's life and emboldened to post photos of on a gaming platform. People who control their partners don't care if they meet online or in college. They were dating and he killed her. My guess is they were fighting and he was trying to exert control and she was resisting control. That kind of was right. The fact Mm -hmm. that Brandon taunted the other guys online also showed classic abuser tendencies according to Cindy Southworth. Pamela Rutledge of the Media Psychology Research Center said, quote, flaunting crimes is not new behavior. Social media has just given those behaviors a new form with greater amplification. 
The sharing of a girl's dead body on social media can be seen as an act of showing off and an attempt to reclaim power and feel control, end quote. Another expert on domestic violence, Evelyn Stratman, said, A part of masculinity is connected to your social status. If it's been threatened or lowered in some way, a man may try to regain it. So in this case, it wouldn't be good enough for him to simply kill her. He has to record it and show it to his peers. Brandon Clark was not the first man to broadcast his crimes on social media, and he won't be the last. Laurie Andrews, law professor and author of I Know Who You Are and Saw What You Did, Social Networks and the End of Privacy, said they really expect viewers to empathize with them, to think they're entitled to teach her a lesson. Pamela Rutledge said that sharing, quote, is a misguided attempt to achieve social validation and feel special, end quote. And Brandon did get some praise by some of his sicko online incel. I bet assholes one guy on incel.co and yes they have their own website posted quote her death pleases me another one wrote quote honestly based on screenshots t-h-o-t which stands for that hoe over there was a horrible person anyway and reaped what she sowed another incel wrote he orbits her for god knows how long she belittles him and makes him feel like human shit and treats him this way Lori Andrews said, quote, I think there is an especially intense thing going on against women. Men are fighting for their maleness, fighting for other men, and they are committing these acts and getting a lot of pats on the back for it. Maureen Curtis said in Rolling Stone, quote, it's really the ultimate action of having control. It's saying, I have control. I'm going to show you I have control here. I'll kill you, and then I'll videotape you and show it to others so they'll see what control I have over you. It's not just hurting her by killing her, but hurting the people who love her. As one of the first police on the scene, and his last name was Paladino, but I can't find his first name anywhere in my notes, he said of Brandon that Brandon was, quote, someone who is in control, who couldn't be fucked with. You can't do something like this to me because this is what's going to happen to you. That was the end of my story. Wow. That and poor girl, though. But I know. This, well, I feel bad. The thing, though. Well, well, one thing that that has been in existence since time immemorial and it isn't because of the internet or anything else is no matter how far women is have come and i'm not blaming women for this it's culture and a culture determined in many ways by men that especially teenage girl well not teenage girls adult women too there's nothing more important than getting attention and being validated by attention from men. Mm -hmm. Everything we see on TV and commercials and stuff, even though it's changed since we Mm -hmm. were kids and we were young, puts that forward. Especially teenage girls, they're very vulnerable to that kind of attention. Part of it, too, is, you know, backlash against feminism. You know, you hear a lot of young women, oh, I'm not a feminist, we don't need that anymore. But one of the things about feminism is to empower women that they're strong themselves and they don't need validation by this kind of attention from men. Another thing is the kind of toxic masculinity you see in gaming and a lot of other aspects of society is allowed to happen. Yes. Nobody, they egg each other on. It's interesting that all the experts Rolling Stone had, and I'm sure part of this was just coincidence or whatever, but the people talking about the issues surrounding this were all women. Uh, you well, know, in the USA Today article, they were all women as well. Right, and until men are seeing these problems and talking about it, you know, it's like I was watching the Ruth 
Bader Ginsburg documentary on Hulu the other night after she died. One of her first gender discrimination suits that she brought to the Supreme Court as a lawyer, one of the judges was kind of confounded. You know, didn't think this kind of discrimination, didn't believe her that there was this kind of discrimination. And I don't want to get into the details of that, but I think it's the same thing where until men realize the kind of atmosphere that they create, and Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about even just blatant, you know, it can be very subtle. Yes, exactly. You know, it's not even too... Like, when I first started going online, I used to go on a message board that was a a comedy website, and they had a message board. Oh, women aren't funny. Why were you on a comedy website? Only men can be funny. (laughs) It was probably mostly men. And there was this, as there always is, atmosphere of dirty jokes and stuff like that, which I can handle. And probably, if I think about back, maybe not back, that was probably like 16 or 17 years ago, but farther back than that, there are certain things that didn't bother me at all that now I would think were, I couldn't believe right. that that didn't bother me. I was older, so I was in my 30, late 30s, so I didn't take part in the behind-the-scenes stuff. But there were, most of the guys were either my age or older. A lot right. of them were. There were some younger There were a lot of very young women on there. You were supposed to be mm-hmm. 18 to be on there, but there were some women that were mm-hmm. younger, and people knew they were younger. And these guys would... Orbit. Um, Orbit. They would. They would send them messages. They would send them stuff. They would ask them for nude pictures all the time. Mm. And they used yeah. to joke about it. But they, but a lot of these girls would send guys. Girls would send them unsolicited sometimes, mm. which made me sad. That's not a good idea. Why are you sending Please. your? Why are you sending some Be- old gross guy a picture of yourself? No, I know why, but I feel yes. bad that they are in that much of a need of validation. Right. And it's nothing against nudity or anything like that. It's, it's, it's against you, young women being exploited by men because it, the men can do it and the young women are not fully formed, their brains are not fully formed, and they're excited by this attention from men. Yes. They sure as hell wouldn't want to date a lot of these guys, but of course the men mm-hmm. feel like it's validates yes. them. Is, and I'm still friends with a lot of these people. And part of the issue goes way back to when... baby girls are born and put in pink and bows are put on their head and they're told how pretty they are and no man told to be polite and you're told but also too like you were saying earlier this was framed in a lot of ways as an internet thing and it's not the internet was the vehicle The the internet has heightened a lot of the issues and made it and made for instance young women more accessible to men and mm-hmm. allowed toxicity to build up so yes. these guys all have an audience and a herd that they yes. can all herd but, mentality <laughs> right but the issues of brandon and also brandon a lot of it I feel like he was almost looking for a chance to kill someone yeah so that he could have his almost performance art kind yeah, of moment. Yeah, it was a performance art. Not to trivialize what he did by calling it that, but part of the big deal to him, it like, I don't think he would have done it. Maybe he would have, I don't know. But it was as important to him to have it all on social media as it was to do it, right? Yeah. Aside from all that, 
the basic issues are people who say, oh, this just came out of the blue. People have such a black and white view of what violence and abuse is, and they still can't get around that the kind of control, you know, that jealousy, that obsessiveness, it's not cute, it's not teenage, it's not love, but nobody sees that as a red flag. Well, a guy keeps saying, "Oh, oh, you're my girlfriend. And you're not. And and his mother is like, ah, I, I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird. And it's not. It's more than it's weird. Not, it's, it's sad. It's, it's possessive. And, and his, his relentless badgering her, and she was a young woman. She's trying to be polite. She tried to put him off, and obviously she didn't. She gave in because he just badgered and badgered and badgered and badgered her. A lot of us have been there. I mean, you just don't yep. know what to do. And, like, yep. now that I'm older. It's but, easier well, it for them now, It's easier for them to do it, it with social media. And other people, but also other people will say to you, what's your problem? Right, Why don't you, you should be like nice. Him? He's a nice, Why he's kind of cute. Nice to right. him? He's nice. And they make you feel like you, you should be acquiescing to this person's or that badgering. you're being the bad right. there's person. something wrong with you because you don't want to and be why with- do they, and they think it starts at an early age though this entitlement they think for instance i gave you flowers mm-hmm. so you should kiss me i mean i bought you a drink now you have to talk in fact i used I to like in bars you. i want to dance why don't you want to dance? Right. what, I, what, I, what are you, you a lesbian you are Right. Yeah, who do you like, think you are? I was always the bitch in the bar because we used to, when I, back in the old newspaper days, there were a couple decades where we went out drinking after work every night. But if I was alone, like if I was the first person there, or even if I wasn't the first person there, like there'd be some stranger, some guy wanting to buy me a drink, and I'd always say no. Fortunately, bartenders, instead of just giving you the drink and saying so-and-so bought this for you like they do on TV and stuff, mm-hmm. in real life, it, at least it's been my experience, the bartender would say that guy over there wants to buy you a drink and i'd always say no and sometimes the guys would come up to me and say why wouldn't you let me buy you a drink and i would say and here's what a bitch i am i would say because then i'd be obligated to talk to you <laughs> and i don't want to what's your problem because i don't want to be bought by a man no and kidding. i know people probably think this is some huge overreaction but you go through life and you are made to feel obligated to behave a certain way towards men when they deign to give you some kind of attention like i've never trusted like when i i date guys and stuff where they would bombard you with gifts and stuff oh i know i don't i don't don't want that. that shit i don't want flowers it's not that i never want flowers but don't think you can buy me off with with fancy it's creepy yeah and it's manipulative it is manipulative and like don't know when that text you're reading a or even when you do like that text you're reading a brand where he was like he must have gotten that from a movie or something or from watching stupid movies like my first thought was how many of these things has he really done but my second thought is if you have to catalog all the great things you've done for this person then you're not as good a person as you think you are because it's more it's more than a catalog of these things you've Well, done. he was complaining because she wouldn't let him do all those oh, things. Oh, okay. So he, well, he claims he would. He's the type of guy that would, but he she won't even give him a chance. And also and also hmm. no means no more than just sex-wise. No means no if a young woman or an older woman tells a guy she's not interested, he's got to suck it up and learn 
the thing. You're not. She's not interested. You don't. No. Nobody owes you. Right. Anything. Nobody owes you a date. If they're not attracted to you or they don't want to spend time with you, that that's just too bad. Right. I'm sorry if you think they're missing out. There's a lot of guys in my life that I probably wished I could have gone on a date with, and I feel like they were missing out. But I'm not going to go demand mm. that they right. go out that's with like, me right. and, the, and, and the give other, me a chance. Right. And the other thing too is the internet culture and the gaming culture and all that Ugh. stuff that women who do complain about the toxic masculinity mm-hmm. are never supported, particularly by men. They're not no. supported. They're overreacting. What's wrong with you? Blah, well, blah, that, blah. And, it's, and it goes far from just yeah, dirty jokes. I mean, out. I've told a lot of dirty yes. jokes in my life and I've laughed at a lot of dirty jokes. It's not about fucking dirty jokes. It's about how women are talked about, treated, and viewed, you know, and regarded. But that's well, I was going to say that that whole culture spreads out into the tech world yeah um working world and anything that has to do with science and math and, well even beyond and technology that, even beyond that in subtle ways both you're even though you and i have had totally different working yeah. lives and careers the people who control are men you know mm-hmm. the people yeah. the guys who get the best assignments are men it's still a boys club and no matter what job you're in if you yeah complain about not even complain if you raise concerns about something you're just a complainer anyway we could go on all night yes we could but, but that was an interesting yeah that was an interesting yeah. topic and i was I was totally surprised by it i'm glad i'm sure there there are so many like it we could do but it is bothersome the way it gets framed it yeah. once again totally skirts the whole what the real issue is about looking for these red flags well, and, and I just, understanding them and educating children both well, boys and what, girls about and i hate to sound like that i'm a mom thing but the reason it kind of she's only a less than she's less than 10 years older than than hannah and they had a lot of they have very many same interests and hannah goes online and, and mm. plays gaming and it just made me start to worry about that how vulnerable you are when you're a right. young person boy or girl on the internet interacting there's, pe- there's yes and there are people and i do tr- and i do try to watch what she does and everything but everyone knows you can't you know like i said the game the gaming the um all that nerdy stuff a lot of it has a misogynistic most it. of it does. They, a lot, there's a lot of big busted women, yeah. uh, childlike and, women. Well, the anime is is, is oh, it's childlike awful. women. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. the schoolgirl and Lolita stuff. It's like what the hell, man. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. yes. Well, let's go to do some recommendations. <laughs> I'm not. Once again, am not reviewing. The Ian Rutledge mystery oh, series. Jesus. By okay. Charles Todd. But I have You're certainly finished. giving them lots of... Oh, you finished them. I did finish them. Now, maybe I, you can actually write 26 books of your own like they did. Fuck you. Because I did review them, didn't I? Yes, a while you back. did. And I can probably, at some point, take away some more points and add some points. But I am done with it. I just want to say, okay. and and also the weird thing is, I finally read like the about the authors thing, which I didn't pay a lot of attention to. And this, and so it's this mother son writing team, 
And I really don't know who does what, but the son's name is Charles Todd, and the mother's name Mm -hmm. is Christine Todd. So just on this, again, on this, maybe they Hmm. realize, like many people in the writing world, that if you have a male name, your book is more likely to get published and sell. But I I have no idea who does what of the writing. Hmm. Which doesn't really matter to me. Maybe someday you'll meet them at one of your author things. I hope not. I hope I don't. Uh, why? You don't want to meet your heroes? They're not my heroes. Did, did, have you I'm not paid attention to the thousands of texts I've sent I really, you about? I really can't say anything because of my This Is Us thing. So I know. What, and also, like, you know, if I had actually sat down and read all the Harry Potter books in that amount of time, people would be, like, cheering me on and telling me how awesome it was. Not everything. now they wouldn't, because everybody hates poor J.K. Rowling now. But Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, a year ago before let's she started pretend her. people are still as obsessed with that trend. Or let's say yes. I sat down and watched the entire Game of Thrones Oh, yeah. Thing That's another thing we need to watch together. I'm not. I couldn't care less. I'm not interested. <laughs> I have too many anyway, other things But anyway, to on to my to. actual recommendation. Okay. It's a documentary I watched on Hulu, a mm-hmm. five-part docu-series. I accidentally started watching it. I was watching something else, and you know how sometimes they just pick what you're going to watch next, and it just yes, automatically starts but I playing? I usually ignore it. Oh, okay. Well, this did, and I was, I can't remember what I was doing, but I thought it was going to play the next episode of the thing I was watching, and then realized it wasn't, and I started watching this. And it's called Outcry, and it's a documentary Hmm. about a high school football star in Texas who, in his senior year, he's got a scholarship to go to a big college, everything's going great for him, a young, good-looking guy, is accused of sexually molesting a four-year-old. Oh, and that's kind of why I didn't want to watch it. He's a white guy. I am not a big fan of let's all rally around the sports star type things. It's listed like as a Hulu sports documentary or something, which explains some of the issues I have with it, but they shouldn't be issues. But do you have your list ready? I, I don't. But I always know what the first one is, is bad reenactments. Okay, yes. They lose no points because, thank God, there are no reenactments. Oh, What's the next one? Narrative cliches. I'll say no. I mean, there's plenty of room for cliches because it's a high school sports star Mm -hmm. and stuff. There is no narrator. Oh, that's Um, good. It does a pretty good job without... Uh, Racial gender obtuseness. I'm taking away a point for racial. And it's not really anything they do, but more what they don't do. I'm going to try not to spoil too much. But there's the investigation was obviously done very poorly. He ends up, kind of spoiler, but not really, getting convicted 25 years without parole. And everybody's totally, totally outraged. Now, he's a white kid. His He has some family life issues. His parents are, are wonderful people, but it's not like he's some wealthy kid or anything. But he is a white kid who's a sports star. And my issue is, I think in five episodes, more than five hours of this, one time somebody mentions in passing, just imagine if he wasn't a white football star. Because people like are rallying behind him. He gets a lot of support, even though he ended up, because his lawyer was an idiot, taking a 25 years, because it could have been as much as 99 years, with no parole, 
waiving his right to an appeal for the lowest sentence so he doesn't get an appeal. But yet there are legal ways to do it. But I don't think, obviously, Texas is like the capital of wrongful convictions for particularly black people. 47% I read online of the wrongful convictions that have been overturned in Texas are black people. You can't imagine how many people are languishing in prison who nobody gives a shit about their case. Nobody's looking at their case. And this, I think, was finished up right before the pandemic and right before the George Floyd stuff and everything. Because there's some very early 2020 stuff. They followed him from the very beginning, you know, for years, uh, because it was 2012 or 13 that this happened. I'm not saying it has to become this big racial thing but everybody's just so appalled and it's like the first time they've ever heard of this happening to anyone and i'm like give me a fucking break it's happening all around you of all the places in america this happens and the world texas is like the capital of this thing so on one hand i guess i don't blame them for being the people in the documentary for being obtuse about it he's his mother's latino so he's there are some people of color in this and it also i'm always i always notice this whenever something is happening in the south whenever i'm seeing how you know up in maine we're one of the whitest states in the country it's not rare to see a room full of just white people but i'm always struck and always have been even when i was a little kid when you see a room full of white people in places where there are a lot of black people i felt like just the fact that he got the support he did and was probably able to get the help he did was not something that's available to a lot of wrongfully convicted people of color should have been more of a point should have more of a made because if this is about bad policing and bad prosecution and people not giving a shit about the people they convict is an overall thing, then you need to acknowledge that for a lot of people in Texas, this doesn't come as some big surprise. And so I'm taking away a whole point just because it... And I would have said that before the things that have happened over the past six months because that's something we've talked about quite a lot. Lack of good visuals. Um, I'm not taking away any points. There's plenty of video of him playing football. There are lots of selfies of people. There are a lot of photos of everybody involved. They have a video of the interviews of the kid and then a second kid who supposedly accused him of sexual assault. You know, they pixelate the kid's face and that's good. So it does have good visuals. Yeah. Missing pieces? Yes. I'm taking away a point. Ah. There aren't a lot of missing pieces, but... There's one major one that bugged me so much that I'm taking away an entire point for it. There's a guy, his name's Jake Bryden, who early on, right after Greg's been convicted and everybody's all up in arms about it, like in the first episode, says, yeah, somebody told me about this. He lives in Austin and this is near the town Greg lives in is outside of Austin, I think. And uh, said, you have to get involved in this. And so I decided to get involved and I went to the family and I said, you know, and then he does the that, this big pompous guy thing that I've heard so many times. I'm going to help you with this, but if I find out you really did it, I'm going to be your worst enemy because blah, blah, blah. So he becomes totally enmeshed, totally involved in helping, trying to help exonerate Greg, which is great, but 
when he's identified, it's just Jake Bryden, Greg Kelly Advocate. They never say who this guy is or what he does for a living. I looked him up online, and he owns a big construction company. And it's funny because when he's interviewed a couple times, and this takes place over the course of several years, he's wearing a shirt that has his construction company logo on it. And I'm like, if you're being interviewed for a documentary, you think about what you're going to wear before you sit down. And he, Of course and, he wore that. Advertising. But no, but what I'm saying is... I'm guessing it was the kind of thing, well, don't say who I am or what I do because this is about Greg, not me, and yet he's wearing his fucking logo. But I feel like the documentarians, and this is where I feel like, and I can say this because I was a a sports editor for uh, six or seven or eight, it's all a blur to me now, years, and there's a, a certain level of journalism, sports reporting often doesn't meet when it comes to news, where... Maybe they didn't think it was important, but I'm saying if this guy's insinuating himself to the point where at the end he's officiating at Greg's wedding, there's another point where there's a court hearing (laughs) and Greg's mother and family are sitting behind Greg, but this guy's sitting next to Greg, you know, his mother's sitting behind him, but this guy's sitting next. You have to tell us who this guy is. Who the fuck is he? Why is he? Because all of a sudden he's in charge. He's with this big megaphone saying, we this, we that. It's always we. Every time you see, like, there's a family gathering or a family picture being taken, he's right there next to Greg. (laughs) And I feel like his involvement probably helped. And you can tell he's incredibly wealthy because at one point it shows him getting into his private plane. And regular people don't have those. It was up to the documentary to say who the fuck this guy is, because frankly, I don't trust people like that. And I'm not saying there wasn't a good outcome. But it's like in that Madeline McCann um, documentary, that wealthy guy and Mm -hmm. his son that decided they would help them for some unknown reason. Right. And, And I'm also, like, back to my other point is, it's awesome what you did for Greg, but are you doing it for all the other people in Texas who are being wrongfully convicted? Have you started a foundation maybe or something? But I just think if nothing else, documentarians should have told us who this guy is, what he does for a living. He didn't know the family. And there's a lot of humble bragging around him. Uh, He didn't even know. He just did this because he's such a great guy. He, He didn't even know us. But he immediately takes charge. Like they have these rallies, which kind of bug me. Free Greg, free Greg. And he's in charge. He's up there with the microphone. He's up, you know, with the megaphone and everything like that. Just completely taking over. And maybe the family wanted him to. But I I just don't trust people like that. And I think they should have given us more information. Okay. Inaccuracy and anachronisms. Um, No, I'm not going to take away any points for that. Storytelling. I'm going to take away... Half a point. Mm. I almost took away a whole point, but there are things. I mean, it it tells the story in a really good way where there are a lot of times you don't know what to think. There are a lot of twists, and they handle the twists very, very well. They give you the information you need right at the right time. It's a very interesting case. They also provide important information. A lot of things like this don't, like a four-year-old accuses somebody of, you know, he accused Greg of of sticking his dick in the kid's mouth. And they show the interview with the kid. Uh. And, and stu- yeah, sorry. 
um, trigger warning, too late. They sh- And they show the interview with the kid. You know, they pixelate the kid. And there are people who say, if a kid is going to say that, believe him. In fact, they have a young woman who was, um, I think, abused as a child, who's kind of like the victim's point of view in the documentary, who believes through the whole thing Greg is guilty, is unhappy with the people who want him exonerated. But they also have a child forensics interview expert who talks about how you need to interview children. And it isn't just this black and white thing where the kid says this, you either believe him or you don't, but the way questions are asked, the way, you know, it's kind of the way false confessions are given in a lot of ways. And so she gives a context very early on that really helps viewers understand. And it would have been great if Greg's fucking lawyer had put somebody like that on the stand since all they had was the kid saying that and there was no investigation. I don't want to go into too much of it because I want people to watch it. So the storytelling was good on that part. The thing that bothered me was the really almost uh, this obsessive, loving embrace of the pro-Greg rally support thing. I mean, you know how much I hate watching people talking on phones and documentaries. So there's a lot of like this planning and people talking on phone shit that we don't need to see. It's I feel like sometimes documentarians get so involved with the person, especially if it goes on for years, that they're showing stuff that they think is important and interesting to them. To me, I'm like, this isn't part of the story. It's boring. I mean, yes, showing that hundreds of people came out for these rallies in support of him is important, but they go on and on about it. They show too much of it. Then later, Greg is out on bond and he's trying to train to be a football player. And I feel like... Uh, maybe the guy who owns the training place bankrolled some of the documentary because they hover on the logo of his like on it training or whatever for quite a long time. They have way too much of that. <laughs> so in the midst of this really good storytelling where they handle the twists and turns really well and you're finding out new stuff, some appalling things about the investigation and stuff, there's these long, boring bloated things about that I almost find like cringeworthy and embarrassing like about the the pro Greg people the you know the protests it just it's like they're too involved with it and they're showing us stuff do you understand what I'm what I mean yes yes I do it was five episodes and I think it could have been three if they had taken all that fluff and that um fawning Look, especially with this Jake Bryden guy and the stuff he was doing, there was just way too much of that. So I'm only taking away half a point, but I almost felt like a point, but the other storytelling was too good. Okay, repetition. I'm going to take away half a point. Some of the same things. There was too much of Jake Bryden saying the same shit over and over again. There was too much of people making points that didn't matter over again when they could have been making important points about what was going on. So half a point there. Okay, beating the drum. Taking away a point for the same thing because I I only took away half for storytelling. The stuff about the pro-Greg protests, the stuff about Jake, you know, Jake Bryden blowing his own horn and going on and on about stuff. I want to see stuff about the case. I want to see stuff about the law. I want to see stuff about what's happening in the investigation. I don't want to see somebody sitting there bloviating with just all this bullshit like people probably think I'm doing right now. 
it was just there was just too much of that so i'm taking away a point for that okay so uh, did you keep track so it, is it a seven you, no it's a five i think so yes it's a six then okay i do highly recommend it i just find that it really drags when it it does those things I don't like. It's definitely worth watching. It's I the cliche perfect storm is used too much, but this is a case where, and somebody actually says this like in the fifth episode, but I wrote myself a note like during the fourth episode. It's a horrific investigate. There isn't even an investigation. Ugh. He has a lawyer who totally doesn't defend him. The prosecution, for various reasons, is corrupt. So nothing went... And then he's oblivious to his legal rights and to what could happen to him. And... Was he over 18? No. He was 17 when this all started. 16 or 17 when this all started. But he was tried as an adult. Mm. He was charged with like something like felonious sexual oh, assault. And there was literally no investigation done. I don't want to give away too much because it's a good story mm-hmm. the way it unfolds. I do want to make a couple points. There's a police chief who's just a total dick but who looks really startlingly like Chief Wiggum on The Simpsons. Like, with a little piggy nose. (laughs) And then there's this T.A., Sean Dick, who is kind of like a softer John Lovitz. And then Greg's second lawyer, who's really good, but he looks disturbingly like Bill Barr, including the Harry Potter glasses and the same hairdo. So those things kind of, they're not point-worthy, but they kind of... And also I want to say, and it wasn't in this documentary, but it's been in a couple I've watched lately, and I mentioned this to you by text last night. It doesn't go with any of our categories, but I am automatically going to deduct a point from any documentary that has a close-up of someone making tea. Tea. Whether it's the tea kettle whistling, them pouring the tea, them steeping the tea bag... Okay. A cat twisting around their legs as they sit down with their teeth. Yes, I do like the cats. But I've seen that. It started with the keepers, and I've seen it in several documentaries. And I well, did they have it in this? They did not have it in this. No. Okay. Well, then why why did you? Because something I watched the other night had it in it, and it made me think that. What if they were pouring coffee or some other... No, no, it's the tea. It's always the tea. Okay. I think that it's the whistling kettle somehow rivets the documentarians and they can't help themselves. But, you know, then it's making it, steeping it, but any parts of those. But one thing I've also seen in documentaries, which I don't really mind, but I see it in a lot, is when the people are talking to their dog or cat. Or feeding their dog or cat. I, I like that. I don't and this that. one actually had some close-ups of cats that oh, I liked that quite a bit. I like that. Too. Or maybe it was the one I was watching with the tea that had the close-up of cats. So that's it for today, right? Yes. Until next time, as they say. Do we have anything we need to say? I don't think so, right? No. Just so you can find out everything you need to know at crimeandstuffonline.com. Yes. I think I'm going to be trying to work on some, see what we have for um, merch ideas. Okay. But That would yeah. be a good idea, yeah. We don't sell our merch. You have to, no. we you give have to it become to a patrons. Patreon patron. Um, you yeah. get some. It's too complicated to sell with sales taxes and shit. Maybe someday we will. But, you know, you can become a Patreon patron, and for pretty cheap, you can get stuff 
from all us. sorts of stuff. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, everybody. But yeah, thanks for listening. Okay, bye bye. I'm just gonna so have to work itchy. tomorrow. I, I hate working. I oh, hate too. everything so I much. I fucking hate working so much. I just want to do things I want to do. Me too. Why can't we? Yes, but can you hold on a minute? Because Kabibi oh. is. Can you hear her? No, I can't. Okay, well, she was playing. But I can with hear something. our Times Wing chariot Shut bearing up. down on me. She was being a bad girl, and I don't want her to be making noises. Okay. Oh, poor kitty. I would like, if we're going to have a, um, so, uh, what day was it? I can't remember. I can't wait till you finish one of those seven sentences so I can find out what you're talking about. You can friggin' edit. That's the whole point. (laughs) Yes. As a woman who has never edited one of these points out. (laughs) Edit that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When... when, (laughs) when, It's my storytelling stuff. No, hey. It's called incoherent. <laughs> okay.